Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Welcome back, uh, everybody, to the to the new episode of Giggles and the Grind podcast. As always, we talk about the lighter side of business. I'm Kyle, uh, joined by my good buddy, Evan. And we have a great guest today, as always. Uh, he lives in the venture capital and private equity world. He's the vice president of Skyview Capital, uh, currently the, the co-founder and co-host of Consumer Rundown. So go check out his show. Uh, also co-founder of Foundry Skincare, uh, Dimitri Kesselman. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Great to meet you guys. Yeah, you got a, you got a great laundry list of, of good stuff going on there. So lots for us to dive into. Absolutely. Yeah. First of all, our guests can't see, but uh, I just got a really sick new haircut, and I definitely have the second best hair on the call. Thank you, Kyle, for wearing a hat to make me feel a little bit better about myself. <laughs> just for you. Uh, <laughs> where are, where are you today on planet Earth, Dimitri? Ah, uh, so I'm in LA. Nice, nice. You've been out there for a while. How'd you get out to LA in the first place? What are you doing out there? Oh, I think we're on mute. There we go. I work for a firm called Skyview Capital. We're a lower middle market private equity firm and an early stage venture capital firm investing in consumer companies. So as you mentioned, I'm a VP there. I've been here for about five years, and uh, it's been a great experience. Really love what I do. Really love the companies we invest in. It's been a, it's been a great five years. That's awesome. Five years is a nice stretch at doing anything. It's almost longer than I've done anything. That's awesome. <laughs> this is now, it's become my longest job. So prior to my previous life, I was at KPMG for exactly five years. I joined the firm August 1, 2011, and left the firm August 1, 2016, so exactly a five-year period. And uh, this now has been just over five years for me. That's awesome. That's really awesome. It sounds like you love what you're doing. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the brands that you've gotten to work with that you really love working with and kind of how you fit into the mix and get introduced to folks. And really, I think a lot of folks just curious how stuff like what you're doing is, is working because it's super interesting, Dimitri. When I first joined Skyview, it was primarily a private equity firm. It did mostly private equity investments, lower middle market, special situation investments, which just means that we invest in companies that have operational challenges. And our goal is to come in and bring our expertise, our, uh, our team, and really make those companies perform better. The way I like to describe it is it's kind of like house hunters, but for companies. It's uh, a good analogy. But when I first joined, it was about spring of 2018, and an investment came in through a connection of one of the MDs here, a company called Super Coffee. It was key to life Super Coffee. Sure. sure. It had just been on uh, Shark Tank. It was a very small brand. I think at that point, they were probably generating less than $1 million in revenue. Oh, wow. And people remember what it was. They got rejected by Shark Tank because of the taste. So that investment came in, and that was the first investment the firm did in a consumer company. Oh, and wow. in some ways, the way the MD who made the investment likes to describe it, it was more just dumb luck. No one knew what they were doing, <laughs> okay. but it was an opportunity that came in. There were a lot of interesting factors around what was going on from a macro point of view, or a lot of trends around butter for you, less sugar, more protein. And Super Coffee fit all those requirements. It had... It was a high protein drink. It was like zero sugar drink. And at that point, it didn't taste 
as well as it tastes now, but we made that investment, or the firm made that investment. And since then, it's just been doing amazing. So over the last, over the last five years now, we made several other investments, primarily into beverages. Other brands are Lemon Perfect, which is, is probably now is doing great as well. Another company called Slate. And then last year, we made an investment into a food technology company called Melibio, which is creating honey without bees. And then as I got more interested in the space, I wanted to just meet more people in the space. And I, so I started Consumer Rundown Podcast. It's a way to really get to know more people in the ecosystem, number one. Number two is it's allowed me to make my own investments as well. So I made two angel investments uh, since I started the, 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 this, year, this year alone. One is called Nectar Heart Seltzer. It's a company based in LA. It's an Asian-inspired flavor hard seltzer brand. And I love everything they do. It's a great tasting product, but their approach to marketing is very innovative. They're leveraging TikTok, YouTube, podcasts to really develop a brand around both the product and the brand as well. And the second one is completely opposite. It's called Deswa, which is a non-alcoholic brand. And it's a brand that was started by Katy Perry. And it, uh, I think, leans really well into this macro trend around people moving away from alcohol as well. I've moved away from alcohol. It's a, it's a good move. I love this. I, I did like the seltzers though. I saw your investment memo on uh, LinkedIn about Nectar Hard Seltzer. I thought that was pretty cool to see. Pretty cool to learn that uh, got a little lucky and you admitted it. I thought that was cool because I'm also simultaneously reading like the psychology of money and there's like a whole chapter on like luck versus risk and how, you know, when things are really risky and maybe not like the best investment, but just work out like that just like gets like so like so much attention and volume. And, you know, I just don't think there's enough people admitting it out there that like, Got a little lucky. We, based on the information we had, we made it made a, a choice, and that choice turned out to be a good choice. You know, it's. I think uh, in venture. I think that's one difference between when you make investments in private equity. You have a bunch of information. You have a lot of yeah. historical data. You yeah. have a lot of control over the outcome a lot of the times. But with the venture, if you really think about it, <laughs> yeah, you can have you can look at a ton of data, but in the end, between when you make the investment, especially the early stage, and what happens. 24 months, 36 months down the line, a lot of it's completely out of your control. Of course. Especially in a vertical, like consumer, where there's so many variables that can happen, because it's very hard to build a mode around the product, around the brand. Like, especially in consumer, and maybe some people don't like to admit it, but there's an element of luck with any of these investments. Yeah, 100%. I, I think. You know, when I think of the VC world a little bit, uh, basketball comes to my mind. Maybe I just saw this thing on like Instagram where Michael Jordan's shooting like from everywhere and it misses any shot. All the kids in his camp get like free Jordans. And then he's like, he just thinks like 15 shots in a row and the kids don't get any stinkers. But uh, VC, a little bit, you know, you're shooting three pointers, you're shooting from half court, and you've just got to make one and you're a hero. You know, it's uh, exactly. Yeah, it's a different different game than even the PE space. I like what you're doing on the angel side too. I, I really think that that's awesome. Uh, that you you know just kind of getting in and meeting some founders. Is there something about that? Is there something with just like finding like a team that you believe in and like you know and, and kind of putting your own money in there yourself, Dimitri? 
I think there is. I think one of the challenges, or if you think about, if you work for a firm, there's going to be layers of decision-making. You can love the brand, you can love the team, but in the end, you're not the one making the decision. What I love about Angel is that you're able to go through the same process. I'm taking all the stuff, the skill set, all the toolkit I've learned doing the investments in Skyver the last five years. But then in the end, I'm going to be the decision maker. It's going to be my money on the, on the line. And there's something that's great about it because you're, number one, there's there's upside financially, which is good. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the goal. But number two is it's who's making the decision and the, who has the agency over that decision. And that's the part I really love about angel investing and meeting the founders because you're able to build that relationship and you, you're the one making the decision. And you'll be, you. and in the end, you, you're going to be judged. You can judge yourself on it as well. Dimitri, yeah. um, I, I'm curious um, whether it be for, for Skyview or, or for your angel uh, investments, I'm wondering if you have like a, like a formula or a process or anything like that. Like, I feel like there's like, you know, the, there's always this, I want to make sure it has X, Y, Z. Curious if there's anything you know you have around that, or just like you know, it just needs to excite you and have upside, or you know, what do you look for? It's gonna be very. I feel like it's gonna be a very generic answer, but for both the angel investments that I made, it was really driven by the people that, who I met, mm-hmm. and uh, you got to trust them. My assessment of are they capable? Mm-hmm. For Nectar, I had a chance to talk to both the founders, and from the beginning. I thought these guys, they're going to be hardworking. They're not going to give up. They're going to do everything that's possible to make this company succeed. And the other part, with with approaching it, this is very innovative. They're thinking about it the right way. They understand some of the dynamics within industry and they understand what needs to happen, potentially for this to be successful. And same thing with Deswa, I met the CEO and was very, very impressed by her, very impressed by the team. I thought definitely the, the macro trends were there. You see this slowly and now it's really accelerating this movement away from alcohol to non-alcoholic options. But in the end, the reason I made that investment is because I really believed in the CEO and the rest of the, the, rest of the management team there. You have to when it's that early, right? Like what else do you got when you're when you're when it's that early, it's it's the team. Do they do they have what it takes? Is really what I think Dimitri's getting at here, right? I mean, do they have what it takes to get me my money back when they're kind of a pipe dream? You know, it's uh, it's not like they're doing a mill in revenue, five mil, twenty mil in revenue. You know, what's Super Super Coffee doing these days? I think they've exited as well. Nice guys out of uh, Texas, right? Uh, they haven't exited yet, but okay. they're doing quite a bit in revenue. It's uh, okay. almost probably 200 by now. 200. Probably, a, a lot, probably a lot more than 200 now. Okay. So they're happy. They're yeah. happy. They're, they're very happy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Exited or not, I think when That's you a good number. Mil, uh, sleep gets a little bit easier at night. Maybe you're, you're taking the temperature down and, uh, you know, to the perfect temperature. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing at that point. Dimitri, have you been in uh, conversations with somebody thinking about kind of like the opposite end of my previous question? Have you been deep in talks with somebody and then this like major red flag comes up and you're just like, oh, shit, I got to run. I'm out of here. And like you don't have to name names, obviously, if you don't want to. But curious if there's been a situation where just like 
something big popped up out of nowhere that was just like, oh, I'm out. Nothing's ever that's big that's popped up, but there's certain data points, some red flags sometimes do pop up, and especially around information sharing. And it's happened a couple of times where when you start going deeper in diligence and you start asking more detailed questions about themselves or the business, and they're less willing to share the information or they punt it to say, well, this is going to happen, but I can't, I don't want to provide you any backup for this, for this happening. Mm -hmm. And this especially happens around when new brands are talking to distributors, to buyers about launching either regionally or nationally. If they're not willing to provide the backup of those conversations and then some, some type of, sometimes say proof, but with something to give you confidence, that those conversations are real and give you confidence that what they're saying will, will happen, then then becomes a little dicey about what can they really trust this person down the line? Because if they're being reluctant to be open now, that reluctance are only going to increase as the business grows. So that to me, a lot of times is going to be a red flag. And that has happened several times where you go in deep, deeper into diligence and the founders become very reluctant to share information. Mm. I feel and, like that would be so disheartening to get there and then just be like, you know, they're hiding something. <laughs> and and that gives you, and it's one of those things where it may not be their intention to to convey that, but that's what happens. Is yeah. When you start thinking, you know, is this guy hiding something and that trust is broken, any type of relationship, it's hard to get it back. Oh, for sure. Especially when we're talking about, you know, a, a lot of money being invested <laughs> you're already going to this being worried and skeptical. So you need to, to be appeased there. And if, yeah, if they're not doing that actively, there's, there's an issue. And then you have to be, I think that's, that's the biggest thing. It's that skepticism, you need to have that skepticism throughout the entire process. No matter how much you might love the product, how much you love the team. I, what makes, I think, a good investor is that skepticism remains throughout the entire diligence process, and even post-investment as well. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, trust is a tough thing, right? Especially when you're dealing with the magnitude and volume and life-changing kind of decisions that you're making. You know, you want to see that people are going to do what they say that they're going to do in any relationship. And, you know, and over time, you get more and more trust and more and more confidence. That's how it works in sports, too. I was listening to Tom Brady talking about how, you know, by winning games and making big plays – he got more confident and comfortable that he was going to win games and make big plays, you know, and the more and more you win and the more and more you're kind of staying at least in the same shape in football, you know, the more likely it is that you're going to, you know, be confident and, and throw touchdowns. And I think that when you're investing or really putting any sort of faith or trust or confidence or dollars into someone, you want to see that those that you're getting back what you expect. Right. I think that's really that's kind of what it comes down to. You said something before, uh, and I'm just going to do a Tim Allen Galaxy Quest quote here. Uh, never give up, never surrender is my favorite, one of my favorite, favorite quotes of uh, all time. It sounds like I that, love that quote. Yeah. That's, you uh, that's always about? been my attitude as well. I think generally speaking in life, I think when you give up, the only person that's really hurt by it is you. I mean, surrender, give up. 
no one else in the end is going to care. It's it's only you going to be. It's only detrimental to your to yourself. So I, I love that quote as well. That's great. Um, Evan, you're on mute now. Um, but Dimitri, um, I, I wanted to ask something. You mentioned earlier that you know for Skyview, you guys come in and um, you know jump in to help organizations that are operationally challenged. Um, coincidentally, I'm, I'm, I'm reading traction right now, um, you know, to kind of work on operations for, uh, you know, for my organization. And I went on your website on Skyview's website and I saw you guys have your, your core values that there we go, have your core values listed right there on this, on the website. And it's, it's funny, I'm actually reading that chapter right now. So just kind of curious as to your thoughts on, on core values, were, were you a part of the exercise to, to outline it for Skyview? And is it something that you look for? Like, to, is there a clear you know, define core values for these organizations that you're investing in? You know, I've never actually looked at that page. That's actually pretty embarrassing. So they, they did an exercise about a year ago where yeah. they changed the website. I felt like something you, like that was coming. That's funny. You, you know, yeah. I'm not sure. Have you ever looked at a private equity website? For the most part, they look very similar across the board. Yeah. No idea what you're talking about, Dimitri. No yeah. idea. They're all totally unique. And uh, I've let me see what the, let's see what the core values are. <laughs> I stumped you. This is great. <laughs> oh, no, it's entrepreneurial spirit, collaboration, hard work, intellectual curiosity, transparency, and integrity. Yeah, I would definitely. I mean, I agree with all of those. I think the only one where, you know, yeah, no, yeah, no. I've seen these before. I've seen these once before. I think when they first published them. I think core values are just so polarizing because people are like, what is, is it really needed? But, you know, you see the organizations being successful that have the like these clear things that they're trying to operate towards. So I think it depends on the size. If you look at I think tech is well known for this, where people are able to coalesce around core values. They're able to build companies with a purpose and people believe in that purpose and they really work hard to accomplish what the mission or uh, those values. Yeah. I think it's harder for companies that we invest in. We invest in much smaller companies between up to 300 million revenue. And it's hard to build that culture. And it's a lot harder to build that culture when the company is struggling as well, where people care a lot more about financial performance next month, next quarter, next year, sure. a lot more than the core values. Sure. Uh, so it's, uh, we don't focus, I don't focus that much, that, that much on it. I think, I think it's important for, if you're a company and you want to scale, I think at some point it does become important because it's a way to retain people, for people to believe in, in, the, in the mission and be able to work toward that mission. But we don't focus on that. Gotcha. Yeah. And when you scale, though, it definitely, you know, the it's one of you saying, like, for me, I want to help good people grow good businesses. You know, when you get to five and 10 and 30 people, it, it kind of, you know, it, it changes over time and it's a little bit, you know, you're a little bit closer to the vest when you just start and it's yourself, but, you know, it's tough to kind of scale that message. I'm someone who also like website for a private equity company, like that's not why you're going to work with a private equity company at all, in my opinion. No, no, no. If you, th and if you think about it in reality, so we invest in primarily in corporate carve outs. So these are business units of larger, larger companies. It's a very different dynamic when you're acquiring a corporate carve out versus when you're acquiring 
a company that's on entrepreneurial. Yeah. Uh, the corporate carve out, they're making a very specific business decision to benefit the greater organization. Entrepreneur actually built this and has more vested into the employees, into the outcome, the eventual outcome. And the corporate carve out, the management team was making that decision. For the most part, they just care about the divestment and what were the financial outcomes for them, less so about the values that they're espousing for that with, with, that, with, that, with that one business unit. So I think that dynamic is a little different as well. I think if, if you're private equity from working with entrepreneurs, that probably does play into your decision making, how you evaluate any given business. But for us, we strictly look at performance and the opportunity and how do we create value. So it's a very numbers-driven decision. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I know we got a couple of minutes left. Uh, you know, what do we want to do here, Kyle? Anything you, you want to ask him? Anything? Yeah, I mean, Dimitri, I just want to see, is there anything fun or exciting going on that maybe we haven't asked you about? Um, you know, we like to, again, we like to talk about the lighter side and the fun stuff. So just kind of anything exciting going on or you're passionate about right now? No, for sure. So I got married two weeks ago. So that was the big, Ooh, big change in, in my life. Uh, so it's very exciting. We're actually going to Japan in October for a honeymoon. Oh, so have you guys, have you guys been? I just, I just went in March. Yeah, I loved it. What do you recommend? So we're uh, going Tokyo, Osaka, and we're thinking about probably Kyoto. So yeah, we're doing about those, two weeks. I did those three. That's a nice amount of time. I also ended up going over to uh, Hakone to see Mount Fuji, but that's like thirty percent that you're going to see it. Um, you know, I think the best piece of advice, the couple that, if I've got a minute, um, so the restaurants, the way that they rate restaurants, like. If it's five stars, that's that's a tourist spot, right? If it's three stars, then like three five, then it's like a great Japanese restaurant. Hmm. That's to know, um, eating lunch, you will get the same meal as if you're eating dinner for like a fourth or a fifth of the price. Uh, so sushi restaurants, like midday, like I was eating big big sushi meals, and then same meal at night, like I'd pay like, you know five, six X. So it'd be like 30 bucks for lunch or like 150 bucks for dinner for the same food. Um, got a lot of good spots. Uh, but yeah, just try to find the places where you're the only one that speaks English. You know, there that's, <laughs> I've got like a, like a restaurant where they couldn't understand my name and we had to sit, tell them like Z was the reservation, like the first letter of my wife's name. That's all they could get. And the food was like amazing. So yeah, those are a couple of quick tips. I can hit you with like full itinerary offline, Dimitri. Perfect. No, no, I'd, I'd love that. I'm looking forward to the trip. I've never been. Through, I've been to Asia before, so I've been to China, been to Hong Kong, been to Vietnam, been to Thailand. My first time in Japan. Mm, I'm jealous. It's it's definitely on my my bucket list to get there, uh, especially ha after hearing uh, Evan's trip. So you're gonna love it. Sounds like. Well, well again on the on the wedding and everything and have fun on your trip. Really appreciate you coming on Dimitri. Yeah, that's perfect. That's, that's exciting stuff. Dimitri. So great having you on. Thanks, man. Great to meet you guys. Talk soon. All right. Take care.